Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. We've got so many people that are holding, that want to get on the show, talk about what's going on. We are two hours away from the Arizona Board of Regents meeting. Will they announce in their Board of Regents meeting that they're leaving the conference? Arizona, Arizona State? Will one of them announce they're leaving? Will neither announce? Will they never even get there? Will the Pac-12 come out in the next two hours and say, hey, we've got a deal? And what about 8 o'clock tonight? University of Washington set to meet their trustees at 8 o'clock. I think it's very intentional how they've lined this up. I want your phone calls, so Matt and Tom and Ace and Paul and Mike, all hang on. I'll get to you here. But I want you to know this, this is not the first time a major sports conference in the Pacific time zone has been under fire. I would call it an amber alert at this point. The Pacific Coast Conference, you remember it? Cal, Oregon, USC, UCLA, Montana, Idaho, Oregon State, Washington, Stanford, Washington State. You remember this? That conference? Here to talk about that conference and what we can learn from it, Mark Shipper, who runs a website called Fifth Down College Football. He goes on the road, he tells stories, he uncovers some of the history. He's joining us here. Mark, uh, how are you, man? What's up, John? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? It's, it's wild doing, times in the yeah. West again. I'm ready to get a good night's sleep again, but uh, this really isn't about <laughs> me. But, yes, that's what I'm ready for. But uh, did I set that up nicely? Like, this isn't the first time this has happened, or this isn't the first time a conference has been under fire? Yeah, you definitely did. From 1956 to 1959, the PCC, the Pacific Coast Conference, which is the direct forerunner of the Pac-12 we have today, they all claim the same records, um, went up in flames. It disintegrated, it broke down, it ceased operation, and it rebuilt as the thing we know today. The Is there anything we can learn from that time or anything that jumps out from you is that from that era that has a parallel to what we're seeing today with George Klyovkov and media rights and Larry Scott's tenure you know, did something was there a precursor to the PCC's downfall that that you can say, oh yeah, this is this is history repeating? Yeah, there there definitely is. There are a whole bunch of things, but let's just start with with the league commissioner and the way they had him operate the conference. It was an extremely strict uh, conference for scholarships, an extremely strict conference for work pay. It essentially was an intensely amateur conference, and the problem with that is that they were also playing big-time football. So the the PCC CEO group of the time, they didn't call it that, essentially hamstrung their own league, caused them to make less revenue, made it more difficult to recruit, talked about things like dropping out of the Rose Bowl, banning spring practice. The heart of it is they didn't center football. They didn't make football first and second of their athletic departments. And it caused the league with a bunch of schools with – different aspirations to crack up based on disagreements in many ways it is a 
slightly different circumstances, but a direct parallel to what's happening today out west. I am watching what is happening today, and literally, you know, it could be that the Pac-12 is uh, holed up now trying to get the votes, trying to get the grant of rights signed. Was there that kind of... Uh, you know, was there that kind of angst at the, that time in the late 1950s as the PCC was facing extinction? Yeah, a- absolutely there was, and there's one major difference. So so the similar thing is the the major football powers in Los Angeles, the at that time football powers in the Bay Area, and the University of Washington out of Seattle, that, that's another interesting thing about the West Coast, is its power centers historically have been in urban areas. That's not normal in college football. In college football, these are generally college towns and rural areas. So that's an interesting thing about about the scheme out west. But what they had was different ceilings that they saw for each other. The football powers saw the big stage, major college football. Well, schools like Oregon, Oregon State, Washington State, and at that time Idaho saw a much lower ceiling and wanted to bring the big powers down to their level. Now, the major difference today is Oregon, what nobody could have forecasted back then, has become a football power out of the rural north and has become a major disruptor in this process. We're talking to Mark Shipper, who is a historian and reporter. Fifth Down College Football is his website. We've had him on the show before. Um, you know, I'm I'm you know I'm a big believer that we got we should study our history. Um, I don't know that a lot of the fans across the footprint are aware of this kind of stuff. They should read what you have on your website, but you had, you know, before television back when stadium gate receipts were, were critical at the time. Who, who was the powerhouse? Who was the tent pole of that conference at that time? Oh, it was uh, UCLA, USC and the university of Washington. And then the Bay area schools, Stanford and Cal, cared a lot more about that time, and they had 70,000-seat stadiums and drew a lot more fans, played in Rose Bowls, and um, they, they had their issues with the big-time game for certain. But the conference was anchored in Los Angeles, USC, UCLA. So when you're hearing a lot of this angst out of the Los Angeles schools, particularly USC, for the University of Oregon, this goes back to that era when Oregon mm. attempted to hamstring Los Angeles, whereas now Oregon – can recruit Los Angeles and Northern California is wide open because Stanford and Cal have dropped out. So, you know, those are the dynamics we're looking at today. It's funny that you could go back that far and trace kind of the Oregon, USC, UCLA dynamic to going back that far. I think that's really interesting, Mark. And as you look at this too, you know, I, I think we're all kind of eager to have this be over but did the conference come out of that PCC era and the breakdown of the PCC in a better place? What was the bridge to uh, today, and, and how did we get to where the Pac-12 is? Yeah, eventually it came out a lot better, and it turned into the, the crown jewel of the West, the powerhouse league that was Big Ten, uh, Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12, and SEC. Those were the three kingpin leagues, so... But it took time, John. In 1959, when the league reformed, they first called themselves the Athletic Association of Western Universities. That became the PAC Conference. They did not allow Oregon in. It was a five-team league. It was USC, UCLA, Stanford, Cal, and Washington. Wazoo, Oregon State, and Oregon were left out. So that, that may sound familiar. They made Oregon wait five years before they let them come back in the league, and it was all punishment 
for the way Oregon had acted during the scandal. They had a law dean named Orlando Hollis. He referred to Los Angeles as a cesspool. He led the charge against L.A., and he helped bring down the worst penalties in PCC and really NCA history at that time on the L.A. schools and the Bay schools, so Cal only, not Stanford. So Oregon was in the doghouse for a long time, and that, that, those feelings, while they're not as intense and they're for different reasons today, carry through right, right to our time. Yeah, it's interesting to kind of look at the parallels of that and see the history kind of come full circle. Uh, Mark Shipper with us, fifthdowncollegefootball.com if you want to check him out. Um, look, I know that you get into history. I know that, you know, you travel around, you find great stories. Give me an idea of why a story like this appeals to you. Why write about this? Well, it it appeals to me because it's like that shock of recognition when you go back and look at this and you say, you know, there, there's a there's a kind of almost blinding obsession with the new and the current. And the fact is, everything that's happening now is foundationed in the past. And so it's very enlightening to go back and read this and watch what the, the different generations saw and went through and how we either learned some of those lessons and didn't. As I watched this amazing football conference and athletic conference out west break apart and think, how could this possibly happen? I go back to the middle of the 20th century and watch it happen for the first time and see these dynamics, these relationships, these population centers. My whole contention is college football in particular is deeply tied to American history and culture, to regionalism, to the land, to the people. And all this stuff, it's still in play today. So new technology, different landscape, but it's all kind of as it's always been. There was kind of a scandal back then, too, right? There was a slush fund in Seattle. There was, uh, you know, somebody had said, you know, who coaches that team? Uh, Al Capone. There was, you know, a lot of that. Uh, In 1937 Rose Bowl, uh, Washington was playing Pitt. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, there was a major a major scandal. That's what caused the, the conference to crack up. And the fascinating thing, the reason the guy I mentioned earlier, Orlando Hollis from Oregon, one of the reasons Oregon was so set on punishing the big schools in the urban centers was that scandal had started at Oregon in 1951. Their coach, Fred Aiken, caught paying, paying to recruit, paying players on his team. And he famously said, listen, I can either cheat and hope I don't get caught or not cheat and lose all these games and get fired because every other team in this league is doing the same thing. So Fred Aiken was pushed out. Oregon was upset about it. Five years later, cut to 56. The scandal starts at Washington. It quickly spreads to Los Angeles, USC, UCLA, have major booster funds going. And Oregon gets their chance at vengeance at at the big schools in the South. So that's uh, it, it was it was a national scandal, by the way, because the the PCC, like the Pac-12 today, was very intent on academics, amateurism, non-commercialism. We do things the right way on the West Coast, and then it turned out they had these massive slush funds going for players, which they did because they couldn't give out athletic scholarships. So you had all the hypocrisy of college sports, all the bizarre, uh, all the bizarre decisions being made by schools that shouldn't have been made, and yeah, it, it was a major, major scandal. I love your website. Uh, for people who want to check it out, fifthdowncollegefootball.com. Mark Shipper, our guest. Uh, before I cut you loose, uh, you, you have a story on there. It's off subject, but it's Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway, did he yeah. write about did he write about Notre Dame and USC as a rivalry? Yeah, he did very, very early on. Uh, he had a he had a story called The Gambler, The Nun, and The Radio. 
and uh, it's about a, a writer who was injured out in Wyoming, and he has an extended stay in a Catholic hospital, and the sort of mother superior there loves Notre Dame football, and he listens, and, and he so he, he gets radio broadcasts from the coast in the evenings, and he ends up listening to the 1930 USC Notre Dame game. Now, famously, that ended up being Newt Rockney's final game he ever coached. They smoked USC in the Coliseum. They won the national title. Seven months later, Rockney dies in a plane crash. But Hemingway used Notre Dame USC in this story, and um, it, it's really, it's really just, it's a wonderful illustration of how prominent college football has been in our culture and country for a long time. Appreciate you, Mark Shipper, college football expert and historian. Thank you for joining us. Good stuff. Good history to see how. You know, all of this, uh, you got to learn from it, you know, as as they say, and uh, otherwise you're doomed to repeat it. Sometimes you repeat it anyway. Uh, I want to go to the phone lines. We've been talking all about Oregon and Washington, possibly to the Big Ten Conference. Again, uh, it looks to me today as though there is a path for the Pac-12 Conference to to piece itself together. It's a narrow path, but it's a path. Uh, I also think, and I understand, some people out there that want to see Oregon playing in the Big Ten and Washington playing in the Big Ten. Uh, Rob Mullen's comment earlier, um, I had a couple of people tweet at me and message me and say, well, wait a minute, he mentions exposure in the, uh, in the uh, comment. I wonder if he's talking about exposure with his regular TV deal or exposure via the college football playoff. I'll replay the comment in just a second. We can unpack it. But let's go to the phone lines. Paul's in West Lynn, Oregon. Paul, welcome to the conversation. Oh, thank you. Um, obviously, money is the big player here, but I'm just curious how this realignment benefits the quote-unquote student-athlete. Yeah, You're right. flying two or three time zones away. What about friends and family? I mean, here you can drive to Eugene, Corvallis, Pullman, Seattle in a day, no problem. It makes it very difficult for the family to visit. And I find the whole thing sad. It just feels yeah. like tearing apart the fabric of society. I know it's a little hyperbolic, but no, kind I'm of with you. similar to Damian Lillard. Uh, you know, it's kind of all about me now. Forget about the big picture. Um, I got to get mine. And I, I adore Dame and what he's meant to the city, but there's also something to be said for tradition, loyalty, um, like, like the Pac-10. Uh, or Pac-12, or whatever it's called right. now. Right know, on. These, these schools are together for a reason, because they're, they're natural geographic rivalries. Um, and, and to think that we'd have to be flying to Happy Valley, Pennsylvania, or that direct flight on United that goes from PDX to Ann Arbor, I kid. I mean, it just makes it very difficult for people to get to these uh, towns. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, I don't think people realize, you know, I covered the Big Ten Conference. I don't think people realize how far away some of these trips are. And it's it was hard as a media member. It was hard. It was tough for me to get some places. And you, it took you extra days of travel and staying an extra night and layovers. And it was it's it's a haul. And I'll be honest with you. Like I have a friend, BK, who's a big Penn State fan, and loves Penn State. His daughter goes to Penn State. I messaged with him today, kind of about you know the idea of Oregon playing in the Big Ten Conference and how difficult it is. Not to just beat Ohio State on a one-off game in September, but to beat Ohio State, beat Michigan, play against Wisconsin, it, it's a grind. And then you run into programs like Purdue, 
who are very good. Minnesota can be good at times. You know, obviously Penn State, you know. And, you know, BK said this is the first time he's a Penn State fan, right? This is the first time he thinks Penn State might have a shot at beating one of those schools. One of them. Like, he's talking about Michigan and Ohio State, not both of them. Hey, can we beat one of them this year? That's kind of the mindset of a Penn State, which, by the way, knocked out Utah, the Pac-12 champion last year in the Rose Bowl. Tom's in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, well, it all comes down to, for me, is really the uh, the future and access to the playoff. Well, what do we have that through, 26, 27, I think? I don't remember off the top of my head. But what's to keep that in, uh, you know, going on beyond that? They can always change that back. You know, if you're having access to the playoff, I mean, what's to say they decide, you know, this isn't working, they cut it back to six or back to four? Yeah, they could. They could. The money's going to be there, though, Tom. And here's how it works. I reached out to Greg Sankey today, the SEC commissioner. I reached out to him bright and early this morning. I said, help me out with something. I said, you know, for playoff access to the expanded playoff. Because I was Googling this, and I really couldn't find it. Like, can they roll it back? Can they change the access? Can they change the rules? As it stands, this is what it means when you talk about getting to the playoff. It's it's the top six conference champions, top six ranked conference champions who get automatic bids. Pac-12, if it had one of the top six ranked conference champions among all conferences, would get an automatic berth. That's, that's how those con- automatic qualifiers work. So I'm not concerned about the Pac-12 in any form losing – its ability for its conference champion to get access to the playoff. Um, and I do think what's going to happen, you know, this playoff's going to expand 2024, 2025. New TV deal comes in. It's going to be a windfall. There's going to be so much money for the conferences that get here, get to the playoff. I understand why Ohio State's going, hell, we'll take 16, we'll take 18, we'll take 20. Because they're going, hey, if we can knock out the Pac-12, that's one or two more berths that's out there for us to get. Never mind that it might not be Oregon or Washington getting the berths. It might be their other members. Let's go to the phones. Ace is called in. Go ahead, Ace. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I caught part of what your conversation with Softy, and I'm very familiar with Softy. He is 98% emotion and 2% logic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as you know, he's a huge homer. But uh, it, so I, I just want to say I appreciate your your angle on this because Softy is, you know, he just he just goes he just goes all in on things and and I understand uh, he wants he wants to be with the best, play the best because it means if you're in the room with the best, you must be the best. But well, I uh, I seen Indiana in that room, I've seen Purdue in that room. I covered those programs; they couldn't beat anybody. See, that's the voice of reason. Right there. That's that's your new name, the voice of reason. Because to me, that that makes it because the sexy choice is not always the right choice. I mean, it, it right now, I'm sure to Softy, that is really sexy, getting some you know getting some big time games. But the, the reality is, the smart choice is to have better access to the playoffs. I mean, that's that that is really the the rational decision. I think. I appreciate the phone call. It's the decision. It's the question that Gonzaga faces, and Gonzaga is facing that right now. Gonzaga has a pretty good TV deal in the WCC. They don't make the same media rights money as, you know, ACC members or Big 12 members, certainly not even Pac-12 members. But they have a pretty good deal for where they are. 
and Gonzaga goes out and dominates the WCC. And there's some good teams in the WCC. You get a St. Mary's. You get a you get a San Diego. You know, you, you get every once in a while you get a program that, that will rise up and, and challenge them. Uh, BYU did for a little bit. But um, but by and large, it's, Gonzaga's not getting the test within conference play that some others are getting. Yeah. And that's why Mark Few and Gonzaga go out and they play some non-conference games that are really tough. And they and they they hunt down North Carolina or Duke or Arizona or UCLA. They you know obviously they try not to play Oregon for some reason. I don't know why. Probably the geography and recruiting. But there's some uh, there's some hunting down of opportunities that Gonzaga does in non-conference play, and I respect that. Is, but I got yeah, a question go ahead. for you, real quick, about Oregon though, about the Ducks. Go back to them. Is there a chance that you're undervaluing? the recruiting and the talent that they have at Oregon. I mean, they are nine and zero against the big 10 and LA schools since 2017. Like I know that you're saying it's going to be a lot tougher, but could they have a chance if they go to the big 10, even elevate themselves to be on that top level with the elite teams? They could, but I think it's different to play Ohio state in September than it is to play Ohio state after you've played Penn state at state college. I think that it, I've seen the grind of it. I've lived the grind of it. It's it's hard. And I think good teams lose those games, even though, you know, you, if it were a one-off game that Mario Cristobal and his crew had circled on the calendar two years earlier, it's a different element than going and having to play Ohio State this week and then at Minnesota, then you get Michigan, then, you know, you're at Purdue, and all of a sudden, you know, you're not even a 10-win team anymore. I, I'm not – you know, it may be that Oregon plays very well in that circumstance, but – I kind of think playing in the Pac-12, Oregon would have a lot more success. I just think Oregon's with Oregon, Washington, Utah. I think if you tell me, hey, you want to compete against Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, um, Wisconsin, Purdue, USC, or do you want to compete against Arizona, Arizona State, Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, you know, Washington, Utah, um, and you got to finish second, yeah, you know, or better to to get there. I I think most people would go, oh, I'll take that second lane. That second pool is better. You know, you don't see the women's national team in pool play going. You know what? We want to play the best in pool play. No, we'll see you. We'll see you in the championship bracket. It it is fascinating because a lot of Duck fans think that Oregon is on that level, right? And I'm with you. I don't know what they do if they go and they go to the Big Ten. And they have to face these teams year after year, week after week. How they how they last? Like I don't. I don't. I'm with you. I think that they would have a couple losses every single season. They wouldn't necessarily make that jump to the elite level. Yeah. It, w- it would be fast. It would be a fascinating study case to see if Oregon did that because you know there'd be even more money coming in. The recruiting probably gets bumped up a little bit more. Like maybe they did turn into you know a national yeah. champion team, but I I don't know. I'm with you. I'm kind of I, I find it hard to believe. I think there's a big gap between what the SEC and the Big Ten are doing and what everybody else is doing right now. And so if I need to play those best teams, I don't want to play them week in and week out. I want to meet them in a bracket where I have a puncher's chance. I want phone calls, though. You're college football fans. You're watching this. You're Oregon fans. You're Washington fans. 503-417-7575. Sam and Roy are going to lead us off. I got lines open. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.